Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54, and it's in our Bible page 1043. Luke chapter 11, verses 37 to 54. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you built tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you built their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send, me- I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who are entering. When Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Okay. So, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. He's walking uh, along the road to heaven via the cross. And he's teaching us how to follow in his step. Um, so, he's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, we're learning to walk the discipleship road. This road is dusty. It's uncomfortable. It's uh, tough going. The signposts, they aren't always particularly clear. And the rest stops are pretty basic. And this difficult road, discipleship road, it stretches out before us for miles and miles 
and miles. We want to get where we're going, but surely there's an easier route. Well, if we kind of cast our eyes to the side, we'll notice that actually next to Discipleship Road, there is a parallel path. It's very close to Discipleship Road. It seems to be heading in the same direction. And if we look across at that road, we see that the people on it, they're very well dressed. They seem quite pleasant. And actually, we recognise some of the individuals on that road. They're influential, respectable figures in society. That road is called Outward Religion. So here we have it, two roads, seemingly very similar, seemingly going in the same direction, but the road over there, oh, it's far smoother. It's far more well-financed. It's been really looked after. The signposts, they are really clear. The restaurants along the way, beautiful, lovely places to stop. If you're on Discipleship Road following Jesus, are you sure you're on the right road. Is this really the road to be on? Well, the faces of outward religion in Jesus' day were the Pharisees and the experts in the law. But where do we see outward religion today? I think it's hard to judge individual leaders. It's hard to pick out specific branches of the church because, well, like we're not God and we don't know what's going on on the inside. But I think we see outward religion in religion that's less about Jesus and more about the establishment. I think we see outward religion when we see religion that's very respectable and never causes offence. I think we see it when religion rightly highlights important social issues but neglects to mention the cross, sin, repentance, being saved. If I was going to give a concrete example, I'd say we see it in the sort of religious people that get invited to appear on BBC Breakfast. Now, I'd quite like to be invited onto BBC Breakfast, um, wouldn't you? It'd be, it'd be nice. It'd be nice to have that kind of respect. Um, it would be easier going, I think, for, for all of us to represent a more kind of respectable establishment sort of religion. We might even find it, find it easier to invite people into our Easter services if we were more that kind of recognisable, um, outward shine, outward recognition branch of religiosity. Are we sure then that what we're doing is right? Are we sure then that we're on the right road. Well, in these verses before us, in uh, Luke chapter 11, Jesus is very, very clear about outward religion. Outward religion, here's the, the one sentence to remember from this passage. Outward religion is unclean and it's oppressive. This is going to be helpful for those times when we are tempted by that other road, by that respectability, by the ease of that path. And also this is going to be challenging because outward religion is not something that we find just out there. It's something we find in here. It's something that we find in here. So firstly, Jesus says that outward religion is unclean. 
Um, Jesus has just finished speaking. He's been concerned that some of the crowd around him are just jumping on the bandwagon. And as we heard last week, he said, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. In other words, make sure that you really are filled with my teaching. And Jesus has just finished saying this, so he sits down, but then he gets a tap on the shoulder. It's a Pharisee. Uh, I'm uh, having some friends back to my place for lunch. Would you like to join me? Now, this Pharisee, um, religion isn't necessarily his vocation. It might be, but it might not be. He might have a non-churchy job, but religion really is his life. He's got a great reputation as someone who looks deeply into the Old Testament and Jewish traditions very, very seriously. Um, Lunch with him is probably not going to be that fun. Um, Religious people don't tend to have the best stories and anecdotes. I don't imagine there's going to be that much laughter at this lunch meal. But Jesus still says yes, which is one of the great things about Jesus. Um, He'll say yes to prostitutes and sinners that want to eat with him he'll say yes to boring serious religious people that want to eat with him Jesus doesn't keep anyone at arm's length which is great so Jesus follows the Pharisee and his associates to his house he reclines there at the low table and is ready to eat the meal but he doesn't wash first um And the the Pharisee is like totally astonished by this, stunned. Jesus hasn't washed before he's going to eat the meal. And maybe some of us are a little bit stunned too. Uh, But it's not that Jesus objects to hands face space. Uh, This isn't a hygiene issue. Rather, the Pharisee is stunned because Jesus isn't performing a ceremonial, religious, ritual washing. Um... They thought this sort of thing was very, very important. They didn't get this command from the Bible. It was an extra law that the rabbis had invented um, or applied for themselves. Uh, You can find it in the Mishnah, where the exact amount of water is prescribed and the exact, very detailed manner in which you wash um, hands up to your wrists, right hand then, left hand, and it really matters where the water flows. It can't flow yeah it's very very complicated and the point is Jesus doesn't do it so according to the Pharisees Jesus is now unclean maybe some of this man's surprise showed on his face or maybe Jesus just knows because he's God Uh, but he uh, he notices what this man is thinking before he even says anything so Jesus rebukes him and his associates in verses 39 to 40. Uh, you can follow along in your Bibles if you like as I read, or you can just listen. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Now, at home, we've got a dishwasher that normally does a pretty good job, but coffee grounds are not its friend. So uh, this is my mug. 
which is beautifully clean, really, isn't it? It's, uh, oh, it's Denby. That's a posh mug. Um, it's looking very well washed, but let's try not to tip anything out. Inside, full of co- coffee grounds. Now, obviously, I've exaggerated that. My dishwasher is not quite that bad. <laughs> But Jesus compares these Pharisees to a cup like that, ceremonially clean by the standards and commands of Jewish traditions, but inside full of the filth, greed, wickedness that comes with their way of life. And uh, Jesus reminds these Pharisees that the God who made the outside, the body, also made the inside our souls, our, our character, and God wants both, the, well, the whole person, the outside and the inside, to be clean. So rather than messing around with outward ceremonial washing, Jesus says, do something from the heart. Be generous. Give until it hurts, even if no one knows about it. Be generous to the poor. We saw last week that generosity is the number one sign of what's going on inside a person. It's the number one sign of whether someone has really taken in Jesus' teaching. It's the generous person who is truly clean. This is quite an awkward dinner party. But before we judge Jesus as a, uh, as a terrible guest, we probably should know that straight talking in this way was way more socially acceptable in his culture then than it is in ours. Um, but following the general rebuke, Jesus fires out three woes to these Pharisees in verses 40, 42 to 44. Each one gives a little bit more detail about the Pharisees' hypocrisy and to say woe to you, it's less, the emphasis is less about judgment and more about regret. So alas um, would probably be uh, just about right. The first woe is, is about their tithing, their giving. On the shiny outside, these Pharisees are doing a really good job. They diligently gave a tenth of everything they owned to God. And this is based on commands actually found in the Old Testament. But they took it to ridiculous levels, raiding the spice rack, getting out a teaspoon and, and like siphoning off a little bit of all their spices and taking it to the temple. On the filthy inside, though, Jesus says, while you are doing a great job of being diligent with tithing, you are neglecting something far bigger the justice and love of God. Outward religion really is mad, obsessed with tiny details, but neglecting the biggest possible virtues. We do this today as well. When I just started off preaching about 12 years ago, uh, I was preaching in a church in the Welsh Valleys. I was uh, about 20 years old, untrained, but very enthusiastic. And I remember really preaching my heart out about the justice and love of God, really going for it. And as I stepped down out of the pulpit at the end of the service, an important looking man in the front row leaned over to the person next to him and whispered, but in that whispering way where you really want someone to overhear you. And and what did he want me to hear? What was filling his mind after this sermon on the justice and love of God? 
He really should. He really should have worn a suit. <laughs> Utterly mad. Like ignoring the big virtues of God and focusing on the tiniest thing. That's what outward religion does. Then we have two further woes. Verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. They were puffed up with their shiny outward self-image. Um, through where they sit and how others speak of them, they loved uh, their status to be recognised. Today, they'd be delighted with um, lots of followers on Twitter. They would love to be invited onto BBC Breakfast. And uh, though they might think highly of themselves, the third woe highlights the reality of what they're really like. Verse 44, woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. This whole conversation started because the Pharisees thought Jesus was unclean, but Jesus completely flips it on them. Nothing was more ceremonially unclean. Nothing was more defiled to them than a dead body. And these people might look shiny on the outside, but inside they are full of defilement. Other people might be fooled, other people might be conned by their shiny self-image, but God knows what they're really like. Jesus knows what they're really like. They are dead on the inside. They're as unclean as it gets. What they thought of Jesus is actually true of them. So here's the big idea. Outward religion is unclean. At the start, I described outward religion as that road that runs parallel to discipleship road it seems like it's heading in the same direction but it's a dead end it's a dead end it won't lead you to heaven via the cross it won't give you access to god religion can make everything seem shiny and fine on the outside but it does nothing to transform our hearts all of us are kind of like this by nature and outward religion will not help god's presence his heaven it's a place of perfect purity one of the best things about it is that nothing unclean will ever break in but sadly that means that all who follow outward religion will also be left on the outside it's a dead end so don't be tempted to go that way Outward religion is unclean. And secondly, outward religion is oppressive. While this awkward dinner party is going on, there's been another group listening in. These are the experts in the law. They're the professionals, the professional lawyers, the professional scribes and teachers. And as one particular expert in the law listens in, he thinks things are these woes are getting a little bit close for comfort. So in verse 45, he says, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. He's giving Jesus the opportunity to sort of rein in his words a bit. Like he's expecting Jesus to say, Oh, sorry, I didn't mean you guys as well. I wouldn't dream of insulting you, the professionals. 
But no, Jesus sees these experts as the other face of outward religion in his day. So he goes on the attack with three further woes. Verse 46. And you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. This first woe is about how these experts added laws um, into the lives of the people that weren't found in Scripture. Um, Raiding the spice rack, that's an example of one that they added. They thought it was their job to make Scripture clearer for the people, so they added their interpretations and their traditions The assumption in their mind was that people couldn't be trusted to take the plain principles of scripture and apply them into their lives. So they decided to get really, really specific about what each principle in the Bible meant and what that should and must look like for every individual. Um, For example, in the book of Jeremiah, uh, God's people Israel are commanded not to carry burdens on the Sabbath. And this command was supposed to remove a burden from the people so that they could rest one day a week. But what do the experts do? Well, uh, you can't carry a burden in your right hand and you can't carry a burden in your left hand. You can't carry a burden on your chest or on your back. However, if you carry a burden on your elbow or if you carry a burden on the back of your hands, then that's fine. Can you see how they just went into really excessive, unnecessary, burdensome detail? Because if you don't just have that command with all its details, but you have all the principles of scripture with all of these details added to it, it's just so heavy. They added so many details that weren't required by God. And their writings, again, do in fact say that it's more important to obey the scribal interpretations than it is to obey the law itself. They turned a blessing into a burden, and they themselves didn't do any of the heavy lifting. Um, Now, of course, the same does happen today. A Scottish preacher called Alistair Begg um, describes and illustrates this quite well. Can we go for a walk on a Sunday? Yes. Can we go for a walk on the grass on a Sunday? Yes. Can we go for a walk on the grass on a Sunday while swinging our arms? Yes, that's okay. Can we go for a walk on the grass while swinging our arms using a stick on a Sunday? Yes, that's okay. Can we go for a walk on the grass swinging our arms with a stick on a Sunday if the end of the stick kind of looks suspiciously like a golf club? (laughs) And, And what about if instead of swinging our arms like this, we swing our arms like this? Is that okay? I, I mean, it's, it's silly, isn't it? Um, <laughs> how we add funny rules uh, around um, biblical principles like taking one day rest. Um, making those sorts of decisions, like whether golf is okay or not on a Sunday, is a good thing to think through as an individual or for you and your family. 
um, and in conversation with the Lord. I don't personally find golf on a Sunday helpful for my faith, so I don't do it. But I do not impose that law on anyone else because it's not in Scripture. Outward religion is oppressive because it turns blessings into burdens. The second woe in verses 47 to 51 is a little more detailed. Um, Let me do my best to summarise it. Jesus criticises these experts for continuing the work of their ancestors. Their ancestors refused to listen to the prophets and in fact they actually killed them, mentions Abel and Zechariah there. The experts refused to listen to those same prophets and yet built monuments to them. So they're sort of building the tombs of these prophets without actually listening to what they said. So they are just as guilty. And in fact, they are more guilty, Jesus is saying in verse 50. This generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets from Abel all the way through to Zechariah. How can that be fair? How can this one generation be responsible for all of that? Because they rejected and killed Jesus. Just a little way down the road, Pilate would bring Jesus out before the people. And he'd bring him out without the intention of crucifying him at all. Finding him innocent, wanting to set him free. But the whole crowd would shout, away with this man. Crucify him. Crucify him. They rejected and killed Jesus. And in doing so, they rejected and killed the one whom all those prophets pointed forward to. So it's like they were rejecting those prophets all over again. When they told Pilate, let his blood be upon us, they didn't realise what they were saying. Outward religion is oppressive because it killed Jesus. And then the final woe in verse 52. Woe to you, experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. This one's really heavy. By focusing on the interpretations and traditions around scripture, these experts had thrown away the key knowledge. This approach stopped them from entering into knowledge and it stopped those that listened to them from entering into knowledge. Perhaps if they focused on what God actually was saying rather than all the interpretations around it, what others were saying about what God had said, things would have been different. If they'd studied scripture for themselves, perhaps they would have realised that the main point of the Bible isn't law isn't outward religion. Perhaps they might have realised that the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of the scripture, is Jesus. From start to finish, every page pointing towards him, from in the garden, looking forward to the snake crusher, to in Revelation, expecting his return. Every page, not about law, but pointing to the one who would fulfil the law. It's all about him. He is the key 
to knowledge. He is the key to understanding scripture. It's really not that complicated. And yet today, outward religion still tries to throw away the key to knowledge. Anyone who makes the Bible complicated is doing it wrong. Anyone who makes the Bible about numbers and codes, anyone who makes the Bible about hidden prophecies, they are doing it wrong. Avoid that. That is outward religion. Anyone who demands that the only way to read the Bible is by the standards of 20th and 21st century literary criticism, which we can be in danger of sometimes, they are wrong. Avoid that. It is outward religion. The key to understanding scripture, the key to knowledge is Christ himself. The whole of the Bible points to him. Outward religion is oppressive because it stops people from knowing Christ. Read the Bible to know Jesus. That is where you will find the knowledge that leads to salvation. That is the knowledge that will save you. That parallel road, outward religion, it might seem attractive at some uh, sometimes. It's the easier route, it's the more respectable route, but it's a dead end. It's unclean and it's oppressive. So don't go that way. If you're on discipleship road, if you're following Jesus, be certain that you are on the right path. Because Jesus is the opposite of outward religion. Jesus makes us truly clean, not just on the outside, but on the inside too. All of us have got something in our past, whether it's something that you did or whether it's something that was done to you, where you just feel shame. You feel, we feel like unclean. There's something wrong about us. But on the cross, Jesus took all of our uncleanness and he drunk it down himself. He took every single ounce of our uncleanness and he took it on himself. And there he took the punishment that our sins deserve. His own father looked at him and he was so unclean that his father had to turn his face away. But if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're on discipleship road, all of that uncleanness, all of that guilt, all of that contamination, know that it is gone. It is finished. It has been removed from you as far away as the east is from the west. You are clean because of Jesus. And Jesus is not oppressive. Jesus is not oppressive. Jesus sets us free. On Discipleship Road, we don't have to feel burdened by these um, oppressive rules all the time. On Discipleship Road, we have freedom to follow imperfectly. Perfection is Jesus' job, not ours. We fail, we stumble, but then we get up and keep on walking. Jesus brings freedom. So make sure you're following him. You could start following him today. Maybe you're currently on that sort of outward religion path. It's a dead end. Change roads. Come over here and follow Jesus. And if you are already on discipleship road, be confident that this is the road that leads to heaven and it gets there via the cross. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we confess before you that we are tempted by outward religion. We are tempted just to satisfy ourselves with the shiny outside. And yet inside, Lord, we are all unclean. Father, please wash us. Please cleanse us through the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that his blood has washed us clean if we're trusting in him. Lord, please give us all the certainty that we could ever need that this is the right path to follow. That we will be with you in glory as we follow Jesus to heaven via the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.